We're going through a year of the teachings of Jesus, and last week Jesus took us to a wedding banquet. Remember the parable of the wedding feast? It actually turned out to be a wedding disaster because nobody showed up at the beginning, but by the end of the sermon, the wedding hall was full. Today, Jesus takes us to a farm. We're going to a farm together today in another parable called the parable of the soil or the wedding or the seed or whatever you want to call it. Basically, though, it's about a farm and a farmer. Uh, We go to a farm each year. We go to Kono's Corn Maze. You ever been to Kono's Corn Maze Uh, down in maybe Mokina or Homer Glen? We've got some pictures here of, of the farm. They have the world's largest corn vat where kids or grown-ups, I found out, could swim through corn. How cool is that? (laughs) Here's the next picture down on the farm. They've got the mechanical bull you can ride. And they let adults do that too. I didn't do so good, but my daughter Ellie was uh, doing a great job. They've also got, of course, they've got the world's largest hay bale playground. Uh, If you've got allergies, you're not going to want to go in there, but otherwise, (laughs) it's a blast. And, uh, of course, farms this time of the year, they've got pumpkins. And last but not least, who doesn't like a good tractor ride? They haul you around in these little cow cars, and I found out also they do let adults ride. (laughs) I don't know what you think of when you think farm. When I think farm, I think of that. But just in your mind right now, in your imagination, get to the farm. Get to the farm. You know, like get the overalls on see the barn, smell the livestock, hear the wind rushing through the field out there as it sways back and forth because we're going to the farm and Jesus has some things that he wants to teach us there. Let's pray and then we'll get into the word together. Father, we do thank you that your word is so simple and yet profound and thank you Jesus for your teachings that came straight from your mouth while you were here revealing spiritual truths through such common Um, stories and objects. Uh, Speak to us. Give us hearts to hear. We pray that you would help us to meet with you this morning and use me, Lord, to do that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8. This story is actually found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, But we're going to use Luke's version, and I'll reference Matthew and Mark's a few times. Jesus is teaching in what's called parables, A parable is a story with symbolic things or people in it that has a spiritual message. He could just come right out and say it. Here's the three things you need to know spiritually. But instead, he uses this artful form of communication to get attention and to make it easier to remember. But in Luke chapter 8, verse 4, it says this. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, that's Jesus, he said in a parable, a sower or farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away, because it had no moisture. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, Can you imagine this? He's got this crowd of people around him and there's some people who are listening real closely and others who are just walking by, just walking by. And they're like, I don't know what the big deal is over there, but I'm not stopping. And then you just hear this voice shout out. Jesus says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is Jesus who's calling out to people and he tells them this parable. Only he doesn't give the explanation right away. He just 
farmer, throwing seed, lands on different ground. Thank you. Thank you. And then the disciples have to come to him and, a little later, and, and they have to ask him, what, what, is it, uh, what does it mean? So it says in verse 9, when his disciples asked him to what this parable meant, he said, and then he started giving them the explanation. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others they're in parables so that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. In other words, those who will ask for clarification will get it. Those who are just passing by and not really concerned about it, they're not going to get it. He says in verse 11, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God, and the ones along the path are those who have heard. All right, we have to define who's playing what part in the parable. So first, it says the seed is what? Go ahead and say it. The seed is, say it a little louder now. The seed is, okay, cool. Now God's word is filled with all sorts of stuff. It specifically in this passage means the truth from God about Jesus, his son. How do you know that? Well, it says in verse 12 that if you believe this, you're saved. Okay, now you can believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big old whale, but that's not going to save you. It's believing in the truth about Jesus that saves you. So when it says word of God, specifically he means what God the Father teaches about Jesus, his son. That's the seed, all right? I've got some grass seed here. I brought some grass seed. This is, this is the only thing I plant like all year long. This is about as close to a farmer as I ever get. Uh, but grass seed, and seed represents the truth about Jesus from God the Father. Uh, seeds are really small and scattered widely, and the thought of these little seeds being scattered is God's way of saying this is how the truth of Jesus gets out, and like a farmer just throwing it out there. Okay, if the seed is the word of God, what's the soil? Take a guess. What's the soil? What's the soil? You! You're dirt. <laughs> Playing the part of dirt is, raise your hand, raise your hand, me. <laughs> Some of you are like, I'm not going to be dirt today. You're dirt. In this parable, you're dirt, and the seed is the word, the truth of Jesus falling on your heart. And then the question is how you're going to respond. So I brought in here just to kind of act this out a little bit. This is my seed spreader. Uh, I'm too cheap to buy the big one, so I just go with the handheld. Uh, and the way it works is the seed goes in the seed spreader, and then, and then once you get the seed in the seed spreader, then you go to the dirt. That's you. And then once you're by the dirt with the seed spreader, he wouldn't. You ever see Gallagher? You all in the front row should have come prepared. <laughs> you spread the seed. This is what you do on the dirt. There's a little for you. There's a little for you. I don't know if I can hit Rich over there. I think I could get him. There you go. You spread the seed on the dirt. Why? Because if the seed doesn't get to the dirt, it's not going to grow and it's not going to produce anything. So you have to spread the seed on the dirt. There you go. <laughs> now it's like all of your hair, Zeke. <laughs> but you can't shower because then it's going to grow. <laughs> He's stuck. What do I do? Do I shower? Do I not shower? So the, so the, seed, the seed is the truth of Jesus. The soil, the dirt is your heart. And then there's going to be fruit, which represents the wheat, perhaps, that, that would take root, that would grow up, and then would produce something that's useful to the farmer. Okay, we're going to see different types of soil that produce dis different types of growth. But listen, it's really important that you understand this. What does the wheat, what does the full-grown crop that can be harvested, what does that symbolize? It's very clear. 
It symbolizes spiritual eternal life. In other words, being saved. And the only way you know if you're saved is if the word of God, the truth of Jesus, takes root in your heart, grows up to a full harvest, and becomes something that's useful to the farmer. Anything less than a full-grown crop that can be harvested is not salvation. So we're going to find out who's saved and what type of soil group that represents. All right, let's meet the first type of heart here, the first type of heart, and that shows up in verse 9. It says in verse 9, the disciples asked him what it meant. He said, you have been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but for others they're in parables. Verse 11, now the parable is the seed, the, the word, I'm sorry, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. If you look back up at verse 5, it says, A sower went out to sow his seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Okay, this is describing a human heart based on a reaction to the truth of Jesus. And that reaction and that heart can be described as hard and unresponsive, like a path that's been trampled. Go ahead and write this down. Number one, first question. Hey, is my heart hard and unresponsive to the truth of Jesus? You can fill that in your bulletin. Is my heart hard and unresponsive to the truth of Jesus? It says that it fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. It says also birds devoured it. It says also that, it says also that the devil comes and takes the word away from their hearts so that they can't believe and be saved. Jesus uses this idea of a path that's been well-traveled on and walked on repeatedly. It's been pounded down to a flat, hard surface. Hard as concrete because it's been so heavily walked on and so packed down. And he says that represents some human hearts in his crowd. And that represents some human hearts in this room today. This would be people who have a hard, tough, unresponsive heart when they hear the truth of Jesus. The seed doesn't even get in. It, it doesn't even practically make it in the ear because the person is so against what the truth is. Now, there are people in the Bible who are in Jesus' audience who represent this group. First, you can jot this down. It was the rich and the powerful in his day. The rich and the powerful. Uh, the wise men come all the way from the east, right, with gold and frankincense and myrrh. Where is the one who has been born king? We can't wait to worship him. And who was it that they ran into? Herod, right? And what did he say? I'm the king around here. I'm... But then he lied and said, oh, go and find him that I may worship him too. And then he killed all the children because he didn't want another king. Hard, unresponsive, unwilling to even listen to the truth of Jesus. It was the rich and the powerful in Jesus' day because they didn't know they needed a savior. But there's another group. It's not just those evil, vile, villainous, clearly sinners. It's also, write this down, the religious and the self-righteous. It's the churchgoers. It was the temple goers. It was those who knew the Old Testament. And guess what? When Jesus started teaching, they're like, who do you think you are? We don't need to listen to you. We listen to Moses. We listen to Abraham. You, you're a nobody. You're hard, unresponsive, unrepentant heart. Why? Because we already got this thing figured out. I've been going to church all my life. I don't need this Jesus truth. 
The hard, tough, unresponsive people are the rich, the powerful, the religious, the self-righteous. I think in this category could fall so many people, but people who believe in other religions won't even hear the truth because I'm not, that's not my religion, something else. Won't even let it in the ear. But the seed keeps falling on this path. 90% of the Roman world was rural. Most of the people in Jesus' audience were perhaps farmers. They had dirt under their fingernails because they were working the field all day. They knew farming. Okay, they knew farming. And uh, they probably had taken a break. They didn't have Starbucks. They didn't have Walmart. They didn't have Quiznos. They didn't have Netflix. What did they do back then? It was the farm. They worked and worked and worked, took a little break, heard Jesus, went back to work. They knew farming. And so when Jesus is like, yeah, there's this farmer and he's throwing the seed on the path, they're probably like, pff, pff, what kind of a farmer is that? You don't throw seed on the path. Won't grow. Waste the seed. It'd be like, you know, Rich goes out to put seed on his grass, and he just puts a big heaping mound of seed on the sidewalk, right? What's your neighbor going to be like? What are you doing? Grass isn't going to grow on the sidewalk. Uh, but this farmer is so liberal and so reckless in where he throws the seed, and that teaches you something about your God. See, because he wants the seed to reach the hardened soil because he wants them to have a chance to receive it and to be saved. But bad news, because what happens is it doesn't penetrate and in addition, it doesn't penetrate because this group is hardened by sin, heavily trafficked by their indulgence in sin and selfishness, hardened by pride. Listen, everyone sins, but the more you indulge in sin and endorse sin and embrace sin, the further down those paths you go into perversion and selfishness and pride, the harder your heart becomes toward the truth and the tougher it is for you to be saved. It's the truth. These people are hardened by sin. These people are also blinded by the spiritual activity of the enemy. Okay, who represents the birds? Tell me who represents the birds. The birds come down and steal the seed. And, and Jesus says the bird is played by who? Satan. Okay. You still believe in that? That hocus pocus, spiritual, you believe in a devil and you really think that's true? Um, I've never seen into the spiritual realms, but Jesus has. And I'm going to take his word that there is an evil being who's smarter than you, stronger than you, older than you, and he can take you out at will. I'm going to believe, Jesus, that that person exists and that one of the things he wants to do is steal away the truth from your heart so you believe his lies, okay? And that's going on in the spiritual realm right now. You can't see it. Jesus is. You're going to see him with your own eyes one day. But then it'll be too late. Jesus is warning you now. There's a war over your heart and what you believe. And he uses birds to symbolize what they do. Come down there, grab the seed, and then off they go. So they, where did it go? I can't even believe it anymore. I found pictures this week of birds stealing things from humans. You want to see it? Picture one of a bird stealing something from a human. Grab the ice cream cone right out of the poor guy's hand. <laughs> he looks so sad. I just started eating the cone. <laughs> We've got another one. This bird is a little more aggressive and bold. Flies right up while the poor guy's here. Give me that. That's mine, and I'm flying away with it. <laughs> So uh, Satan is like the bird who wants to steal the truth from your heart. These people with hard and unresponsive hearts are hardened by sin, blinded by the enemy, and they're also trampled by the traffic of the world. This is a picturesque way of saying the world walks right over them, and because they love the traffic of the world in their heart, the world pounds any seed that's there to nothing as it's trying to just grow up. And I know what I think about Jesus. When I, we take my son Jared to the beach, he loves finding sandcastles because he loves to pretend to be Godzilla. 
and he smashes them. And then there's these little girls. He's hurting my thing. It's in big trouble, right? And, and that's what's happening to the truth of Jesus in the hearts of these people. It's being smashed into the ground by the traffic of those in the world, meaning the crowd is more important than the Lord. Hey, you have to ask yourself this. Is this your heart? Is this your heart? Up to this point, your response to the truth about Jesus has been hard, unresponsive. Jesus means nothing to you, if you're honest. He means absolutely nothing to you. And here the Lord is throwing out seed on you today, again, because he really wants you to know that his son is the only hope that you have of finding spiritual, eternal life that springs up like a harvest in your soul and gives you confidence that you're going to be with him forever in heaven. The only way that life comes to you is through Jesus Christ. Maybe he brought you here this morning to hear that. That's the first group. Is my heart hard and unresponsive? Here's the second group. Is my heart rocky and shallow? You can write that down. Is my heart rocky and is it shallow? So verse 13, the seed falls on these people. It says in verse 13, the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Okay, joy, that sounds like a happy word. What do you think the word joy sounds like? Go ahead and give me a sound of joy. A little more. Come on, a little more, a little more. Hey, I really like this Jesus guy. Like, he's cool. I'm reading about it. He's done a lot of good things. Like, I kind of like learning about him and coming to church and hearing some sermons. I'm really excited about this. Okay, rocky, shallow hearts at first, there's joy at first, which leads you to believe that these people are saved and that they know Jesus and love him and they're kind of excited about him. But there's a problem. The problem is the rocks. The problem is the rocks. Now, maybe we can think of it as there's rocks on the surface. Here's a picture of rocks on the surface. You're going out to put your grass seed down or your wheat seed down or your corn seed down, and it's, it's just bouncing off the rocks. So it's not going to, maybe it'll get in between the rocks, but it's going to be really tough for it to grow up with those rocks there. But in, in Israel, you have to understand that all of Israel is basically on a limestone rock bed. It runs under the surface of the whole country. So this next picture shows you in Israel a quarry I mean, imagine you bought this field as a farmer and you start digging and you're like, uh-oh, I've got like a good 70 feet of limestone under my field. And I get about two inches of dirt and then I get like 70 feet of bedrock that I can't. And it's like, shovel, shovel, tink, tink. You ever do that in your yard and then you jump on it with two feet? Tink, and you just start teetering over there. And then you're like, uh-oh, crop ain't going to be good. Why? What's the problem? The problem is the what? The what? The rock. The rock. What does the rock represent here? The rock represents an inner wall in your heart that prevents Jesus from fully entering into your life and ruling you as Lord. You'll let him in a little bit, or you'll let him in for a little while, You'll let him change a few things, but it's only skin deep, and it's only for a time. How do I know if this is my heart? Well, there was some start to the farming in your heart, and then there was a stop because Jesus hit a rock that you won't let him move. 
The rock symbolizes an underground, in your heart, rebellious spirit that stops the seed from getting any farther and prevents the Lord from getting any deeper, which basically means you want to remain God in your life. And you think that if as long as you let him in a little bit, that that will produce the crop that, but it won't. Because what happens to this seed? Well, it says what happens to this seed is, it says that they receive it with joy, but these have no root. The roots can't get down past the bedrock that you refuse to let go of. So they believe for a while, and in the time of testing, they fall away. It says back up in verse 6, fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. It withered away because it had no moisture. It says in other accounts, if you read the other accounts in the Bible about this, it says that when the sun came out, it was scorched and withered and burned. Now the problem isn't the sun, the problem isn't the root, the problem isn't the seed, the problem isn't the soil, the problem is the what? The rocks. The rock of rebellion that you refuse to let go of in your heart. The rock causes all of the other problems. And basically the truth of Jesus just doesn't take root and stick around in your heart. Now here's the thing. This group of people, your heart is as hard, if not harder, than the first group on the path. Only you've coated it with a thin layer of topsoil to give the appearance that you really, for a time, are down with Jesus and you think that he's the best. What is it that then shows that I'm not actually a, fully, a full follower of Christ, but I'm kind of a fake? Well, there's this bedrock of selfish independence that remains in your heart. Nothing eternal has truly happened to you because you refuse to let the root sink deeper. What shows that I have a rock problem? There's two things. You can write this down first. Trials. Trials show that you have a rock problem. Trials. When life gets hard, it says problems. It says problems. In a time of testing, Jesus said, they fall away. Now, everyone will face a time of testing. True believers will walk with Christ through it. False believers will bolt. Because the problem will show that their faith is not genuine. Well, I'm good with this Jesus. I'm good with him as long as he makes all my dreams come true. But as soon as my life gets hard and he doesn't be my personal genie and give me my wishes, I'm out of here. He can forget about it because he didn't deliver what I, what I demanded. These are often people who've been hurt by God, who are resentful to God. These are often people who ask, where was God when this happened? And basically, you're placing conditions on Jesus Christ as to what, when he can and can't take control in your life. If he heals me, if he fixes my problems, if he provides for my finances, then I'll let him grow in my heart. If not, This is the what's in it for me person. And then when life pounds away at you and you fail to endure, it shows that your faith was never really genuine at all. There's another thing that reveals a rocky and shallow heart. You can jot this down, persecution. Persecution. First, trials and hardship and problems, and away they go. Second, persecution. In other words, telling people that you love Jesus, worship him, and follow him, Getting pushback on that is something that the rocky, shallow follower is unwilling to do. Why? Why? Because fundamentally, they're living for their own independent self. And Jesus won't be able to remove that. So if telling people about Jesus 
threatens my own independence and reputation and, and selfishness, I'm going to stop doing it. And listen, I've been in ministry for a long time now, okay? 2002, I started part-time. 2004, I was full-time. I'm almost 10 years full-time in the ministry. I've met a lot of followers of Christ. Someone who is unwilling to tell other people about Jesus. I don't mean you get nervous about it. I don't mean, you know, you feel like you should do it more than you do. No, I'm saying they, they won't. They won't. Salvation problem. Salvation problem. Not willing to endure any persecution or shame or embarrassment for the name of Christ. Bedrock in your heart of rebellion and selfishness and independence. This person is not a saved person. This person, perhaps for a little while, looked like a saved person. This person, perhaps for a short time, acted like a saved person. But at some point in the past, or at some point in the near future, they're going to walk away. They're going to walk away. These people move on when they hit high school. Move on when they hit college. Wander away when they move out. Move on when their kids are grown and gone. They just wander away. If the first group, Jesus, meant nothing to them, this second group, Jesus once meant something to them, or Jesus means something to them for now, but it doesn't last. Why? Because of the ultimatums, because of the conditions, because of the fight with God over the rule in their heart that they won't let up. And God keeps pounding away and pounding away and pounding. What does it take to break up rock on this kind of field? Listen, I'll, I'll tell you what it takes. Listen, this is exactly what it takes. That's what God is trying to do in some of your hearts today. He's saying it's unacceptable. It hasn't saved you. I'm not going to play games. It has to break completely apart. You have to let go of your rebellion, all the conditions you've placed on me, all the resentment, and you have to let the truth of Jesus take full root. Hey, maybe that's what you were here to hear today. Is my heart hard and unresponsive? Is my heart rocky? Is my heart shallow. Here's the third group. Is my heart weedy and worldly? Write that down. Is my heart weedy and worldly? Jesus describes these people in verse 14. In verse 14, he says, and as for what fell among the thorns or the weeds, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked. Choked by what? Choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. This is a weedy and a worldly heart. Now some people say, oh, this could be a Christian who just doesn't really grow fully, but it's not. Because the only thing that's useful to the farmer is the crop that grows up to full maturity and that could be sold and eaten. Okay? This whole like it, it's almost growing means, no, means the weeds are choking it. Okay, what do weeds do? Weeds steal water. Weeds steal light. Weeds steal food. Weeds wrap around plants and prevent growth. Basically, weeds steal life. Let me ask you a question. Would you let me sit at your dinner table if I came over to your house, ate all of your food, drank all of your water, turned off the lights, and then began to choke you? Would you invite me over again? Pastor came over and he tried to kill me. 
The food wasn't really that bad. He did what? He turned the lights off and began choking me. You need to find another church. Weedy worldly hearts show Jesus where he can plant himself in their life. Yeah, I'll come to church. Yeah, I'll learn about him. Yes, I'll say good things about him. Yes, I'll, maybe I'll even get baptized and I'll believe in him. But my weeds are staying. All of them are staying. Yeah, but, but your weeds are strangling Jesus in your heart. Yeah, but they're staying. He can stay as long as they can stay. And what, what this is depicting here is that keeping the weeds in your life kills the possibility of you having spiritual life. All right? You understand this is not a saved person. This is a person who's friendly toward Jesus, talks about Jesus, throws a few Facebook posts up there, maybe a bumper sticker on the car, as long as the worldly side of them is untouched. They'll say nice things about Jesus. This is, wheel, this is weedy. This is worldly. Who is this person? Well, Jesus means something to this person, but the world means everything to this person. I'm not talking about Christians here who sometimes spend too much time doing other things. I'm not talking about Christians here who sometimes get carried away in sins of the flesh or lusts of the heart or pride of life. Okay, I'm not talking about you. You're battling the weeds. You're wanting Jesus to pull them up and they keep cropping up and you're fighting the fight. No, no, this is different sermon, different day. I'm talking about people who have an unbroken, uninterrupted love, loyalty, and allegiance to the world, and they just want a side of Jesus in their life. And Jesus is saying, that's not good enough. Your weeds are strangling me, and they're killing me in your heart, and you're not saved, and you're not going to heaven. In the book of 1 John, it lays it out very clear in a warning. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, pride in possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world passes away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. In the book of Philippians, it says of these people, their God is their stomach, their glory is in their shame, their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. How do you know if you're one of these people? Well, you go up and put signs up on everything in your life. Do not touch. Do not touch. Do not touch. And you'll let Jesus into the house as long as he doesn't touch any of your worldly things. That's the rules. And Jesus can plant himself in my life as long as he doesn't touch any of my worldly things. I'm not going to let him touch a single weed. He can't forbid a single pleasure. He can't challenge a single friendship. He can't change a single hobby. He can't limit a single appetite. These are not true followers of the Lord Jesus. My cares, my riches, my pleasures come first. And Jesus can come into my life as long as he, as he goes to the very end of the line and stays there. And if he tries to cut in front of anything else that I'm devoted to in this world, he's out. He's out. Because everything comes first. These people are busy with the routine cares of life, just like all of us. Just like all of us, they're driving around like crazy, trying to get the bills paid, trying to get the emissions test passed, trying to get the, trying to get the job done, just like all of us. But for them, it 
chokes to death their spiritual life. These people, like everybody, have commitments. They want to go out and have fun. They want to have a good time. They want to have friends. They want to, you know. But for them, it's everything. And it chokes to death any spiritual pursuit. And it says here it's the cares of the world, just the common busyness. So busy, too busy, so busy that Jesus can't even be a little part of my life. He can have the leftovers, but that's it. What about the riches? You've got to make money. Well, all of us have to go to work. All of us have to pay the bills, right? But, but money can master you. Money can steal your heart away from the truth of Jesus. When money turns left, you turn left. When Jesus turns right, you stay with money. Money always comes first. Money always wins. That's this heart. What about pleasure? Pleasure is good. All forms of pleasure is good. God made pleasure. He fought it up. He created it. Every form of pleasure, the pleasure of food, the pleasure of intimacy, the pleasure of friendship, the pleasure of... But if it's what you're living for, if you're willing to let the amount or the kind of pleasure or the source of pleasure choke to death the standards of God's word, you're an unsaved person. The soil of your heart is weedy. The soil of your heart is worldly. And Jesus is saying, if you don't let go of the godless, sinful things in your heart, if you don't let me pull all of them up and create fresh soil and let what I can give you grow to its fullest, you don't have life. You can't have life. The weeds are preventing it from happening. These are the sinful, godless athletes who throughout the week live a, a proud and a reckless and a, and a... That's their life. And then on Sunday they score a touchdown and throw two fingers up to the sky and give the big guy a shout out. And these are the actors and actresses who live despicable lives and do perverted things and stand up to give their speech and thank God for everything that's in their life. They want a side of Jesus, just the side of Jesus. And Jesus says, I'm not having anything to do with that. These are unsaved people. Hey, is my heart weedy and worldly? Is my heart rocky and shallow? <clears throat> is my heart hard? Well, there's a fourth type here. This is the only type that Jesus says gets it. This is the only type that shows abounding spiritual life that results in salvation. Jot this down. Is my heart receptive and steadfast? Is my heart receptive and steadfast? In verse 15 it says, As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. He says back in verse 8, Some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The good soil, how do I know if my heart is the good soil? How do I know if I'm saved? How do I know if I have true spiritual life? Well, listen, it says he hears. You've heard the truth about Jesus that can save you. If you don't hear it, you can't be saved. If you do hear it, you can be saved. But you also understand it. The book of Matthew said he understands it, meaning it's clear to you that the Lord Jesus came into the world from heaven. He's the eternal Son of God, making him God the Son. He lived the perfect life. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. All of the penalty for your sins was thrown on him at the cross. Then he was thrown into a tomb and he died in your place because the wages of sin is death. Then he rose on the third day up from the grave 
And he showed hundreds of people that it was true. He let them touch his hand and touch his side, and he conquered the grave. Then in front of hundreds of people, he ascended up to the right hand of God the Father. He sat down. He told his followers, I have all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the living, risen Savior who's listening right now and looking into hearts in this room and wondering what kind of soil this truth is falling on. And he's extending the gift. The Bible says that it's by grace that you're saved. It's by grace, not by works. It's the free gift of God so that no one can boast. He extends out a free gift of eternal life and your heart will either receive it or reject it. Hey, do you know the truth? Hey, do you understand the truth? But then it says, this is a decision of the will, you accept or you, or you retain it. The soil keeps it deep down. Doesn't let the bird take it away. Doesn't let the weeds kill it. Doesn't let the rock prevent it from growing. You accept it and retain it. And beyond that, it says you persevere. Meaning it's not just a fad in your life. It's your life. You're walking with Jesus. You have a personal, evident relationship with Jesus day in and day out. He's real to you. He's everything to you. And then it says it produces. It produces. This first and foremost means eternal life in your heart. But it does spring up and sprout out. And it's seen in your, in your life change. And the choices you make are different. Your values are different. You're, you're doing things for the Lord Jesus. And people see all this change coming out of eternal life in your heart. How do I know if this is my heart? How do I know if, this is, if I'm saved? Well, jot this down. Here's three things that can be said of these people. First, I worship Christ because he is the Son of God. I worship Christ. I don't think he's just like a pretty good guy. I don't think he's like one of the greats who lived at some point in the past, like Confucius or the Buddha. No, he's the eternal Son of God, the Savior of the world who died on the cross, and nothing less. I, I worship Him because He's the Son of God. Second, I walk with Christ because He's my shepherd and my Lord. My walk with Christ is evident. I read my Bible and I pray and I hang around Christians and learn what it means to, to live the upright, godly life. I walk with Christ because He's my shepherd and Lord, especially during trials. And third, I work for Christ because He calls me to serve Him. He gets the best of my time. He gets the best of my energy. He gets the first of me in the morning. Why? Because I work for him because he calls me to serve him. In other words, if for the first group Jesus meant nothing, if for the second group Jesus meant something for a while, if for the third group Jesus means something but the world means everything, for the fourth group Jesus means everything. He's everything to you. You're not ashamed to sing to him. You're not ashamed to tell people about him. You're not ashamed to be baptized and to follow him. You're not ashamed. You're not ashamed because he's everything to you. This is the saved person. This is the person who has the soil that is good, that receives the seed, and spiritual life grows up, and it's abundant, it's evident, and it's for all to see. So my question for you is, what's the condition of your heart in response to what you've heard right now. Which one are you? God's throwing the seed out there. God's throwing the seed on your heart right now, and he cares how you respond. Eternity rests on how you respond to what you've heard. And he wants you to have spiritual life regardless of the condition of your soul, regardless of what you've done, regardless of who you are. He wants you to have eternal life, which is why he's throwing it on you. But will you respond? 
I want to give you a chance to respond to this truth right now. I just want to give you a chance to pray with me and to say that you want this, that you yearn for this, that you want to receive this as the soil receives the seed. Let's just take a moment here and let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And let's just pray together.